keep breaking the stage too. So this is Bob. Uh, some of you might be familiar with Bob. Uh, Bob is one of the original members of CrossFit Mason, so at the gym, and uh, he's become a lot of fun. Now, Bob, I don't know if you noticed, is a bit intimidating, and so one of our favorite things, like he's sort of a sparring partner, that's what he's made for, he sits up on a stand, and you can like fight with him. Uh, he's not really good at fighting back, though. Um, he just kind of takes some punches. Uh, so we sort of like, as we're cleaning out the gym, we're like, man, we got to find something to do with Bob. But what ended up happening a lot with Bob was he would just be placed like in a corner somewhere. Now, just imagine you're walking into a dark room, and this man is standing about my height, like up on a stand, is looking at you just like that. It doesn't matter how many times you know exactly where he is in the room, your reaction is, ah, like every time, you know, and you're ready, like you go into that fight or flight response. And so given that, we think it, we thought it'd be really fun to just move him around different places uh, within the gym and, and beyond that. And so um, one of the things that we would do is we would like stick him in the bathroom, like in the stand, so you would, he'd be kind of behind the door, so you'd shut the door, and then you'd look in the mirror, and you'd see him over your shoulder, like, you know, like he would... And then you'd realize, like, somebody got you. Uh, a couple times we actually put him, we uh, made it look as if he was using the restroom so that when somebody walked in the door, they're like, they th oh, my gosh, I'm so sorry, you know, and they, ha, oh, you know, like, fell for it again. Uh, but he's been a lot of fun. And uh, somebody upped the stakes last year, I don't exactly know who, but on Christmas Eve last year, I go out to my van, and in my van, fully decked out in Santa outfit, is Bob. And I'm like, babe, there's somebody in our you know, at first I'm like, well, maybe it's not our van. It's like a million white vans. Like, but who's Santa's in our car, you know? And I'm like trying to figure it out. And I realized, oh, somebody got me. And so this tradition sort of emerged. Um, and right off the bat, I'm like, I took him out of my car. Rob leaves his truck unlocked all the time. So I was like stuffed him in Rob's truck. And, uh, and so I got Rob. And so then he just sort of made the tour to Lebanon, Mason, Warren County, and ended up in different people's houses. And so this year, it became like a holiday tradition. And so he's been to different houses within our gym. He's been visiting with people. And he, he finally, I knew it was coming. He ended up at our house. And, uh, you know, first you see him, you're like startled. It's like, he was Santa Bob, now he's Elf Bob, and Rob said it earlier, I think he's right, he's an angry elf. He's kind of, he's definitely an angry elf, and so he's a bit intimidating, and, um, but he showed up at our house, and, uh, well, at first you're like, who's standing on my front porch, <laughs> you know, then you realize, oh, it's Bob, and he comes bearing gifts, and it's been, come this fun tradition, and uh, there's this list of things you have to do when you get Bob now, it's like the part of it, so one of the things is you have to write, you have to bring him into your home, you invite him in. Um, and you enjoy the evening with him, and, uh, and you write a poem about your experience with him. And so I just wanted to share what Bob did uh, when he visited our house. So uh, it was tw twas 11 days before Christmas, when what to my wandering eyes should appear, the chiseled physique of Bob stood near. He was looking, though, a bit slow and a wee bit thick, so we decided him to put him through a workout right quick. Is this Cindy or Karen? Does she even have a name? Uh, is it doesn't really matter. Bob puked all the same. After that workout, Bob was quite zapped, so he laid down for a long winter's nap. So, this, so you see him, he's getting his workout in, he got some front squats and rope climbs, and, uh, and had all kinds of fun. But uh, this is the adventures of Bob. Bob's going to continue on his way to a new place uh, th this weekend. So uh, thanks for hanging out with us, Bob. Thanks, JB. Uh, I can't have him standing up here. There's no way to focus, but he's like <laughs> standing there. 
But you know the feeling, right, of being startled, of coming around a corner and this element of surprise or this moment where you're caught off guard or maybe a moment of just pure fear. And uh, I want to just take you back for just a minute and imagine that you are, you're working the night shift. You're a night shift worker, and so you're working the night shift. You're going about your business, and all of a sudden— you come across a being that you've never encountered before in your life. And it's absolutely overwhelming. And it's an angel. Now, I'm not talking about, how many of you guys used to watch the show, like, Touched by an Angel? Anybody watch that? Like, okay, you're, you're some of my people. Like, nobody in first hour, they're like, you guys have never seen Touched by an Angel. I'm, I'm surprised. But uh, all the angels in Touched by an Angel are, like, the friendliest, like, you know, just unassuming people, the ones you just, like, kick it with, and it'd be a good time, and um, so it's not like that kind of an angel, and it's not like, like, you know, wings and harps and this kind of an angel where you're like, oh, isn't that angel cute, and we've got, like, angel statues and things like that. The reason I know that it's not that kind of an angel is because anytime somebody encountered an angel in the Bible, what was their reaction? Startled pure fear, terror, overwhelmed, right? And so if it was nice, friendly, little touched by an angel or angel with harp and wings, you'd be like, oh, but that was not people's reaction. And so, again, imagine you're working the night shift, which was the shepherds, right? And they're all of a sudden, they come in contact with this angel. And so imagine just the blood beginning to flow, the heart rate rising, your Fitbit just ticking away, and you're like, what is going on here? What kind of greeting is this? What is this all about? And I'm guessing you would have responded similar to the way the shepherds did that first Christmas night. They were terrified. They were terrified. And so I just want you to envision those emotions for just a second. All of the emotions that come with the news that they're about to receive, wondering, okay, what is this angel doing here? What message does he have for us? And they were terrified. It says, And there were shepherds living out in their fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the city of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. So again, just put yourself back in those shoes for just a minute. Like you're hearing that for the first time. You're digesting that information for the very first time. And once you got past your shock and terror, being startled, being overcome with emo emotion, they received this most welcome message that mankind would ever receive. The Savior of the world has come in the form of a baby. There was no more blessed visitation than planet Earth than this. And over the course of this series called Advent, we have been talking about this blessed arrival, right? God coming to our very doorstep. God making his home with us. And we've been talking about what the meaning of this gift really is for the whole of humanity, but also for us individually and personally. And so we talked about uh, the one who came, and the first week we talked about this name of Jesus and what it meant that Jesus was the truest and best man. His name was Jesus, but he was son of God and son of man, all in one person. 
how Jesus, this child, was the truest and best prophet. He didn't just show the way, but he was the way, and he claimed to be the very way to God. And today what we're going to spend some time talking about is how Jesus functioned as the truest and best priest, the one who stands in the gap between God and man once and for all. And next week we'll discover how he's the truest and best king, the one whose kingdom never ends. And so I'm just going to take a minute to pray for us. I think one of the things that can be easy to do as we read the Christmas story, and we're sort of taking an unconventional approach today. We're not digging directly through the Christmas story. We're actually going to look through the book of Hebrews and what it unveils to us about this coming uh, of Jesus into our lives and into our world. Um, But as we do that, I just want you to kind of look at the person of Jesus with fresh eyes this morning. And all that he means for humanity, but more importantly, all that he means for you. So let's pray. God, thank you for this opportunity to once again just encounter Jesus with fresh eyes, to set our eyes upon him, to set our gaze upon him, and to meet with him in this place. God, I just pray that regardless of where people are at this morning, that they would just get an opportunity to be reacquainted with this person that was unlike any other person to ever walk planet earth this person of jesus and so meet with us this morning we pray in jesus name and all god's people said amen all right so we're going to look at today how christ functions as the truest and best priest hebrews describes him this way hebrews 6 19 through 20 it says this we have this hope as an anchor for the soul firm and secure it enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain Where our forerunner, Jesus, has entered on our behalf, he has become a high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. So what this scripture is describing for us here is how Jesus plays this role, how he stands in the gap as our high priest once and for all. So I want to just spend a few minutes just looking at the vital ways that Jesus does this as our forerunner, how he goes before us as our true high priest so that we can remember the depth of our need for him this morning. So looking through Hebrews, let's first, uh, we're going to look, and you, if you can follow along, it'll be up on the screens, or if you have your Bible, you can follow along there as well. But the first thing I think we see, and it's important for us to understand, is how our true priest intercedes for us. He intercedes for us. Hebrews 7, 23 through 25, it says, Now there have been many of those priests. Now if you understand the Old Testament, you understand that throughout the history of Israel, the priests would work on behalf of and operate on behalf of the people to, again, stand in this gap between God and mankind. And so they would do this. They had a variety of functions, but one of the functions was to offer sacrifices um, for uh, the people. And so, um, but they were human priests. And so, as the scripture describes here, there's been many of those priests since death that prevented them from continuing in office. But because Jesus lives forever, he has a permanent priesthood. Therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. And so, what we're reading here is that God, that, that God in the form of Jesus intercedes on our behalf, that he is the forerunner, the one that goes ahead of us. We, uh, some of you know, we, we bought a property uh, just north of here, and uh, it's got a little bit of acreage. And one of the things I've loved about this is um, that 
like I can just kind of burn things out in the middle of my yard. Like that's going to be like my favorite thing about having a little bit of, like I'm just going to like start a fire right here and just start burning some things. And I told you guys there was this massive deck back there. So we have a lot of things to burn. And so I was spending hours upon hours like burning stuff. My brother helped me. We had a chainsaw. We were like cutting down decks and throwing it up on the fire. And all that was well and good. My brother had kind of left. And so I'm like, I wonder if there's anything kind of like on my own that like I could just kind of continue to burn and keep the, the fun going. And so I was like, I think there's some stuff inside the house that could use some burning too. And so like, I'm like, I go in there and uh, I'm like, cool, you know, we got the fire going. It's a pretty big blaze at this point. And uh, I find some, some carpet that's disgusting. Like it's like, it literally has like 30 years of filth on it. And I'm like, this has got to go. And so I roll it up into a big section, not thinking much about it. And I throw this carpet up onto the fire. Now, I'd never burned carpet before. I had no idea what the outcome would be, but it looked like all of a sudden, like, the chamber of, like, Harry Potter's secrets, like, emerged into the sky. Like, there was, like, black smoke upon black smoke, and I'm like, this cauldron of, like, I don't even know what was happening. I'm like, that is a lot of smoke. Now, it wasn't a lot of fire necessarily. It was just producing this, like, cloud of black smoke that was, and I'm, I was, like, fascinated by it. I was like, Wow. I was like, well, there's some more carpet in there. So I go back in. I grab another second. I was like starting to throw it in there. And I'm telling you, like, for like an hour, there's just like this billowing black smoke coming from the back. Oh, I didn't think much about it. And then I was like, okay, there's like one more roll in here. So I threw it, threw it in there. And um, as I'm kind of just getting done burning that last section of carpet, um, I hear somebody coming up my driveway, like in some truck of some kind. And uh, then I... You're walking in the backyard again. I'm kind of walking around, and uh, Turtle Creek Township Fire Department decided to pay me a visit. You know, it's like coming. I guess they're coming to welcome me to the neighborhood or whatever. And so the the smoke had kind of died down a little bit, but there's still some black smoke there. And uh, he comes around the corner, and uh, just what for some reason the thing that popped into my head was something to the effect of, "Well, what brings you out today?" Like, as if I had no idea that it was the billowing black smoke that probably brought the fire department to my house, you know? Like, it was, like, the silliest question to ask him. And, he, and I was like, and then I followed up with, like, oh, you just checking up, you know? Check, just checking, yeah, you're just checking up because it looks like there is a house on fire back here. And uh, apparently, I didn't realize it, but my neighbors were concerned, so they notified kind of the, the fire department. And so he asked me the question, he's like, um, well, what are you burning back here? And I'm like, you know, I knew it's probably a bad idea to burn what I had been burning. So I was kind of stumbling along, like saying, so like, ah, oh, you know, just some wood and stuff that's back here. And he's like, really? He's like, I, I've never seen wood produce that kind of smoke. Like, you know, he totally knows I wasn't burning wood, you know? And so I'm like, well, yeah, I threw some carpet on there too. And he's like, ah, yeah, that's probably what it is, you know. And so he proceeds to then notify me of some EPA regulations that I was not in compliance with. And uh, so he's telling me, I was like, yeah, you can't really burn that kind of stuff. And so we're having this conversation. And um, it was actually, he was very nice. And he was sort of the advocate from the fire department that come out before the fire department to scout it out. So he's like the scar, he was like the, the fire department forerunner. You know, he's like, comes out, he's like, hey, you know, by the way, let's just, can, can I reason with you for a second? Can you not burn that stuff? In fact, if you do burn it, if you're going to burn, you can't burn carpet, first of all, because it's going to look like that every time. 
But if you're going to burn something, if you could just give us a call ahead, give us a little idea that you're going to be doing a controlled burn. You know, he's giving me language. Um, that would be great, you know. And uh, so he's really good. He's really a nice guy. And he had every right to find me, right? He did. I mean, but yet he advocated for me. He's like, he reasoned with me, which I, I actually really, really appreciated. And, uh, and so, you know, we, we, I, I got to know him a little bit. He took off. And as he, right before he was leaving, though, I was like, he's kind of like scouting out. And he's like on his radio. He's like, uh, yeah, you can go ahead and cancel uh, engine six to uh, fire. Uh, you can go ahead and cancel. And like he's calling off like six or seven different engines like that are on their way to my house. And so I'm like, I really am sorry about all the trouble. And uh, he's like, yeah, just, you know, let us know in the future or whatever. Um, but I love this idea, this picture of Jesus actually going before us, right? That, that he is our for, and he comes to us to actually reason with us. In 1 Timothy 2.5, it says, for there is one God and one mediator also between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. <clears throat> it doesn't say that he is a mediator, like one mediator that we could potentially uh, utilize in this relationship between God and man. He is the mediator. We have one mediator, between God and man, and that is Christ Jesus. Have you ever thought about this, that Jesus intercedes for you? And, and he does it in a couple different ways. One, he comes and reasons with us, right? He reasons with us. Hey, we shouldn't, we don't want to live that way anymore, right? There's a better way for you. He comes to reason with us uh, regarding our sin and regarding the things in our life that are not aligned with God's. And then he also, because he also goes back to God and advocates for us, which is this powerful picture of Jesus and his role as mediator, as our true high priest. And so have you ever pictured him that way? And that's the reason we don't do, like, confessional around here is because Jesus is our high priest. It's not to say there's, there's anything wrong with confessing your sins to your brother and sister, but there is absolutely, and there's absolutely benefit to that. But the only authority that stands between you and God is Christ himself. And so we get to go through Christ as our mediator directly, and that's a powerful thing. He is our one true high priest, our true mediator, both now and forever. Coming to reason with mankind, advocate on our behalf before God. I love the passage in Isaiah 1, 18 that gives this picture. Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. They are like, though they are like red as crimson they shall become like wool. And just imagine that. So our true priest, he intercedes for us. The second thing that he does, and this is very important, our true priest brokers peace for us. Because as sinners, all of us, there's not one of us in here that doesn't need peace with God. Because as sinners, even the smallest of sin sets us as enemies opposed to holy and righteous God, right? So we are far from God based on our own merits, based on our own abilities. And so the true priest goes ahead of us. He's our forerunner to broker peace for us. Hebrews 7, 26 through 27 captures this. Such a high priest truly meets our need. One who is holy, describes him, blameless, pure, set apart from sinners, exalted above the heavens. Unlike the other high priests, he does not need to offer sacrifices day after day, first for his own sins and then for the sins of his people. He sacrificed for their sins once for all when he offered himself. You see, there's one key characteristic that differentiates Jesus from any of the other high priests. That he was God in nature. 
And because of that, that he was the epitome of perfection, that he was truly blameless. And so because of that, what the other priests would have to do is they would have to offer sacrifices for themselves just to be in the presence of God before they could even offer sacrifices on behalf of everyone else. And so each, that's what it's talking about there. It says, unlike the other high priest, he doesn't need to offer a sacrifice for himself day after day because he is perfect. And in the scripture, we always see sin being understood as a severe offense before a perfect God. And that's really why the sacrificial system was in place in the Old Testament throughout the history of Israel. And once a year, there was this Jewish tradition uh, called Yom Kippur, and it was the Day of Atonement. And what would happen on the Day of Atonement is that it was when the high priest would make peace with God, first for himself as he entered the Holy of Holies. He would make peace first for himself by offering a, sacri a blood sacrifice. Then on behalf of the nation of God's own, uh, he would offer sacrifices as well to atone for the Day of Atonement, to atone for the sin of the people. And this was done year after year because, again, sin carried with it severity. And so sin required blood to be atoned for. And I just think that we have to capture this understanding of the severity of our sins so that we can understand the necessity for Christ. We have to understand the severity of sin so that we can fully appreciate and understand the necessity of Christ as our true high priest. And so um, sin required, again, blood to be atoned for because of its severity. Here's what R.C. Sproul has to say about sin. It says, he says, sin is cosmic treason. Sin is treason against a perfectly sovereign God, against the perfectly, so, uh, perfectly pure sovereign. It is an act of supreme ingratitude toward the one to whom we owe everything, to the one who has given us life itself. Have you ever considered the deeper implications of the slightest sin? What are we saying to our Creator when we disobey Him at the slightest point? We are saying no to the righteousness of God. We are saying, God, you are, your law is not good. My judgment is better than yours. Your authority is not applied to me. I am above and beyond your jurisdiction. I have the right to do what I want, not what you command me to do. And all of us are guilty of sin at one level or another. And if all sin is an act of treason, an act of reconciliation is in order for every transgression, for all of our transgressions. And what was needed every year over and over again, Christ completed once and for all on the cross. Not based on our merits, thankfully, but based on his goodness, based on his righteousness, as our true high priest operating on our behalf. And not only is he the true high priest, but he is the spotless lamb. He is the one who himself volunteered that his blood might be spilled out on our behalf. Don't miss the significance. Our peace with God was purchased once and for all with the precious blood of Jesus. The blood of Christ has brought you peace. The blood of Christ has brought you peace. If you believe that, respond, thanks be to God. The blood of Christ has brought you peace. Thanks be to God. Ed, Edmund, um, I love the, uh, uh, the our Narnia. Anybody watch Chronicles of Narnia? You kind of remember that if you've read the stories or if you've watched the movie, I'm just going to give you a, a snapshot. But you remember this moment when they wander into Narnia, which is this picture of the kingdom of heaven and um, in, in kind of the overall, like the spiritual realm. And so, Within uh, that realm, within the, the wardrobe, there's this witch that's sort of the presence of evil. And she convinces uh, Edmund by playing into his heart's desire to take some of the Turkish delights, right? And so she's, she's putting these things before him, right? And, what, and, and, and she's using this 
uh, to manipulate him to act in a treasonous way against Aslan, right? In the way of Aslan. And she, she convinces him, and she does. And so he becomes a lawbreaker, um, and what's needed is that he has to now um, meet the demands of the law, which according to the, the, the law of Narnia is that he should be put to death because of his treachery. And so we, we see this happen, and then there's this moment in time where um, Edmund is being held prisoner by the witch and sentenced to death, and, and Aslan comes along, and there's this conversation between Aslan and the witch, and we don't know exactly what's happening. But what, but, um, what ha- is happening in those moments is um, there is some, some interceding that's happening. There's this conversation that's happening. And so the queen, what she thinks, uh, the witch, uh, she, 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 uh, she thinks that she has won over Edmund, right? And now um, she thinks that what she can do is basically trade um, Aslan for Edmund, which is the greater prize in her eyes. But what a- Aslan tells them, he says, here's what it means. The witch... She knew the deep magic, but there is a deeper magic still, which she did not know. Her knowledge only goes back to the beginning of time. Although the old magic or traditional religion of Narnia is deep magic, deeper deeper still is the magic that Aslan uses when he sacrifices himself. So this conversation that happens between the witch and Aslan is this understanding that Aslan will go in place of the traitor, Edmund, and he sacrifices himself on Edmund's behalf. And what, uh, th- I love this quote from C.S. Lewis within the book. It says that the witch would have known that when a willing victim who had committed no treachery was killed in the traitor's stead, the table would crack and death itself would start working backwards. And so the magic she was not aware of was that Aslan would resurrect from the dead and conquer death once and for all. And the same is true for us. Because we have a true high priest that atones for our sin, death works backwards. And we have the opportunity to receive that and receive life and for him to breathe life into us and give us a new shot at life, both now and forever. And so our high priest does this for us. Our true high priest, he intercedes for us. He brokers peace for us. And our true high priest, he cleanses us. The Bible word that we use a lot of times is this word for sanctification, that he cleanses us uh, from the inside out. In Hebrews 9, 12 through 14, it says, He did not enter by means of the blood of goats and calves, but he entered the most holy place once for all by his own blood, thus obtaining eternal redemption. The blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer sprinkled on those who are ceremonial unclean sanctified them so that they are outwardly clean. How much more then will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our consciousness, consciences, from acts that lead to death so that we may serve the living God. So Jesus functions in this way in our life once and for all to cleanse us from all that makes us unclean in our lives. We are cleansed by the blood of the true spotless lamb. And because of the work of our true high priest, we have been declared holy in God's sight. And that word holy means set apart. That We've been set apart for his purpose because of what Christ has done for us, not because we have earned holiness or we have proven holy, but because God himself is holy and because God declares us holy. I was reminded of this uh, as Brian and I have been working through this study together, Brian Fulrod and I, uh, called uh, Core 52, which is just a great study if you're looking for something kind of the beginning of the year to kind of study through the Bible. Um, But 
you know how you just kind of read something sometimes and it's just like wow like that hits you in a fresh way and so I was like as, as we're reading through this I'm like hold on I gotta like highlight all of this because this is some good stuff and uh, but what Mark Moore captures in the book is exactly uh, what it says here in Hebrews it says this holiness happens when God proclaims not when a person performs okay our holiness is God's gift to us not our gift to him holiness is received not achieved we get this backwards a lot of times this simple truth will transform how we view our position with God. So then our practice of holiness is a result of God's proclamation of holiness, not the other way around, right? We think we're pro proclaimed holy because we have proven holy, but it's the other way. God has proclaimed that we are holy because, of, because he sees Christ when he sees us. And so we practice holiness in light of that. So when the Bible tells us, be holy as I am holy, it's this declaration of holiness upon us. And it says, and it's only when God's declaration of our holiness, our set-apartness, sinks into our souls that our actions are transformed to align with his character and nature. So do you fully understand that because of Jesus, because he is your true high priest, you have been proclaimed holy. And now in light of that, we practice holiness and righteousness in light of the fact that God has already declared us holy. And we know this, right? The effects of this world will still bleed into our lives, which is why we need to consistently allow God to purge the things of our flesh from us. I don't know about you, but probably December 4th or 5th, maybe, I had already had my sugar quota for, like, all of 2020. And, like, I'm talking Christmas cookies. I'm talking. And, uh, by the way, Heather Beckman brought me some of her Buckeyes today. And I'm telling you, I can't eat those in, like, limited quantities. I eat those in large volumes. And I'm like, but by the end of all of that sugar sort of just, like, overtakes your system. And you're like, oh, man, like, I feel so sluggish. And so um, I, maybe you guys don't like cookies. I, I tend to gravitate to them. And by January 1st, I'm like, I need, like, some purge of my system. Like, I need a detox. Anybody, like, January 1, like, okay, I'm going to be on a detox this year, and uh, I know that I'm going to need some sort of detox just to flush all of this stuff uh, from my system. Um, but we need this on a spiritual level time and time again. I think sometimes we don't realize the remnant of living in the world, right? And sin sort of just embeds itself in our lives. It embeds itself in our heart and it embeds itself in our mind. And we have to do this spiritual detox over and over again. But we can't do it by our own power. We need, again, Jesus to cleanse us. As it says in 2 Corinthians 7, 1, since we have these promises, beloved, again, since we're promised um, all of these things through the name of Jesus, then let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. And since we have already have been given these promises, God has given us, again, these promises based on his goodness, not on our own merit. And since we have these promises, in light of that, then let us continue to cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. Allow God to cleanse us and to detox us on a spiritual level. So our, our true priest does that. He cleanses us. And lastly, our true priest completes us. Our true priest completes us. Hebrews 10, 19 through 22, Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain, that is his body, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with full assurance 
that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Because of the work of Jesus, we can actually be reunited to God. We can be reunited to the one that we were made for. How many of you guys this Christmas season are like Hallmark movie people? You're like Hallmark movie, like you're watching all this. Some of you don't want to confess it. It's okay. Even Kenny, I mentioned Kenny was sitting back here. If you know Kenny, he's, you know, the, the big guy that walks around that's way more intimidating than Bob. And uh, so he was back there. I said, who likes Hallmark movies? And he just raised his coffee cup to take a drink right at the end. And I'm like, oh, Kenny likes Hallmark movies, you know? Like I wouldn't have expected it. It's okay to confess, but there's something about Hallmark. And he later, like, let me know. He said, yeah, I, you know, I, I'll be honest. I'll watch some Hallmark movies, you know. There's just that feel-good feeling, right, when you watch a Hallmark movie. And then he was like, I could, we could talk about how every single one is the exact same premise, right? It's the same storyline in a different way over and over again, but you'll watch all of them, right, and see it's always going to happen the same way, you know. And I'll, I'll be honest. I'll watch a Hallmark movie with my wife. She'll be like, you know, do you need a tissue or something? What's going on over there, you know? I'm not crying. I'm fine, you know. Um, but why are we so captivated by these stories? Well, there's this simple premise every time, right? There's a couple people meant to end up together, end up together. Everything is right in the world. It all happens. There's no, have you noticed there's never a bad ending or a sad ending to a Hallmark movie? It like, defe- it's like breaks the rules of Hallmark movies. And if it is, it's no longer considered a Hallmark. They all wrap up in the same way that just le- leaves you feeling like all comfortable and warm on the inside, right? Um, but just in case you're going to watch them all, that's what's going to happen. They're going to end up together. It's all going to be good. So predictable, yet we love them. Why? Well, because all the best holiday moments, all the best holiday songs, all the best holiday movies bring us back to the same storyline, right? The same storyline that appeals to us on a deeper level, really on the, the level of the soul. It involves reunion. It involves being reunited. Two people that were meant to be together ending up together. And I think that this speaks to us on a fundamental level because we all have this longing. And you know it because you've, you've felt it before, right? At some point in your life, maybe you're feeling it right now and you come in here today and you're like, I just, there's just this sense of like something's missing. Like I just feel like something's missing and I need to feel complete, right? And that's how it always ends up in the Hallmark movies where... You know, this person's like, you complete me, you complete me, right? But we need to be completed in a much greater way. And that's what we're really longing for. And it's only through Christ that we're fully and permanently made complete. Through Jesus, through our true high priest. And we can be complete because we have been united with the one that we were always meant for we got to get to this place where we see his work, the work of Jesus as our priest, not simply as transactional, but deeply relational. That's God's motivation, right? It wasn't just like, hey, I'll do this, I'll do this. But it's, it's deeply relational that God does this on our behalf because he loves you. God wants you to be complete because he loves you. God wants you to be cleansed because he loves you. God wants to intercede on your behalf because he loves you more deeply than you could ever possibly understand. And so if you hear nothing else today, understand that God wants to be reunited with you. And that can only be made possible through our true high priest. The one who intercedes for us. The one who brings peace to us. The one who cleanses us and completes us. 
His name is Jesus. And in light of that, I just want to conclude by just giving you a scripture to meditate on here in Hebrews 13, 20 through 21. It's our perfect response to our one true high priest. And it says this in Hebrews 13, 20 through 22. And this is kind of a conclusion to this letter to the Hebrews. It says, Now, may the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, may he equip you with everything good for doing his will, and may he work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. So perhaps as we sit here and and Hannah begins to play. Just give you kind of a moment to, to think about this. And we're going to sing one last song. But maybe somebody today needs some intercession. They just need Christ to go before them as the forerunner and just appeal to God on their behalf. And so maybe your invitation to God is, God, Jesus, intercede for me. As my true high priest, intercede for me today. I need your intercession. I need your help. I need you to maybe reason with my heart, but maybe also advocate on my behalf. God, I need you to be my advocate today. Maybe your prayer is a prayer of peace and you've been living in turmoil or maybe you've been living um, opposed to God and you just need to know that you can move from enemy to friend with a simple welcome of Jesus into your life. So maybe you need peace this morning and just a prayer of peace as you think back to that silent night that this baby who laid in a manger came to bring peace to humanity. Maybe you need some cleansing. You just need this spiritual detox. You need to lift something up to God just in the form of confession to say, God, I've blown it again. I need to give this to you because I'm carrying it. It's eating away at me, and I just need to flush this from my system, God. So let me offer it back up to you, and by the power of your blood, would you cleanse me once more? And maybe for some of you, you just need to, you just need to feel complete once and for all. You're just like, why, why do I feel so empty all the time? God, complete me. I've been trying to fill the gap in my lives with so many, my life with so many other things, and I just need you to fill that gap. I need you to complete me once and for all. May the God of peace, through the blood of the eternal covenant, brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, may he equip you with everything good for doing his will, and may he work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ. To him be glory forever and ever. Lord Jesus, that is our prayer. That you, the God of peace, would equip us, would strengthen us, would cleanse us, would intercede for us, and work everything for good together in our lives, that you would fully complete us through our true high priest, Jesus. We lift all these things up in his name.